today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. You may have noticed if you have been uh, a do-it-yourselfer or you have been at home and noticing that your deck needs fixing or the baseboards of your house need adjusting or whatever else, you may have noticed that for most of the summer, the price of lumber in this country was absolutely through the roof. I mean, crazy, I think, unprecedented prices for lumber. Today, if you go back and try and buy lumber today, you'll notice that the uh, the price has plunged. Some reports say it's down 70% in the past nine weeks. So what's happened? Well, it seems the answer, like the answer to everything in our world these days, lies in COVID, or at least the end of COVID or close to the end of COVID. People who aren't in their homes all the time now, the theory goes, now that people have emerged from their basements, emerged from their family rooms, are back out with their kids at the sports field or back out at restaurants or wherever else and not staring at their home 24 hours a day, aren't wanting to do as many home rental projects. They're not bothered by what's in front of them or not thinking they need more. And so the home rental project, home rental business has also slipped, which has driven down supply or pardon me, demand for wood. The Globe Mail has a headline on their piece about this yesterday. Lumber demand plummets as do-it-yourself boom ends. Marvin Ryder is with the DeGroote School of Business. He's a man we turn to when we want to talk economics because there is nobody better at doing such a thing. He joins us now. Marvin, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Now, Scott, just before we start, because you have very keen listeners, they may detect a little huskiness in my voice. I do not have COVID. I'm not tested positive for COVID. It's something quite mundane. I'm just getting over a summer cold. So if you hear me cough or you hear me sneeze, don't think COVID, just think summer cold. <laughs> Aren't summer colds the best? Right when yes, you get to are. enjoy the nice weather, it's like, bam, you get hit with one of those. They're, they're, they're great. They're just marvelous. Thank you so much. <laughs> So it, looking at this with the is the is the falling of the home do it yourself moment that we've had here really just the cause of the lumber price collapse is it that simple Yeah in a way so let me let me just cover a very basic economic concept and that's the law of supply and demand the law yes. of supply and demand uh, what covid has done for many businesses is disrupted their ability to predict with certainty what demand is going to be like. And let's use lumber as a great example of this. A year ago, COVID was at its peak. Oh my gosh, we're locking down. So the people who cut down trees and then those people who aged that wood and turned it into lumber said, well, if we're fighting a pandemic, no one's going to want to be building new homes. No one's going to want to be you know, putting in a deck or doing their basement. So, okay, everybody, turn it off pack it away, we're not going to produce lumber, just have it sit in the yard. And that worked fine for the first six months or so, but then what was unanticipated was that once we got locked down at home and we began looking around the house, we saw, as you correctly pointed out, do-it-yourself chores. Well, maybe this is the time to finish that bathroom or finish the basement or redo the deck. And in the spring of this year, demand shot up out of nowhere. But remember, the mills had shut themselves down. The people who cut down trees weren't cutting down trees. So there was no big supply, and yet demand went through the roof. And you're correct, prices hit unprecedented levels. There was a point back in May of this year where lumber was four times 400% higher than it was a year before. 
Now we're into July, almost August. Two things have happened. On number one, all of those people cutting down trees are cutting down trees again. All those lumber mills are back cranking out lumber. So supply has gone up. And wouldn't you know, they've timed it perfectly. They now got all that supply just at the time that there isn't that much demand. And so we've seen the opposite happen. In just nine weeks, the price of lumber has dropped quite dramatically. But I would just need to share with you and your listeners this law of supply and demand, you're going to see it played out over and over again. Let me give you another quick example. A year ago at this time, the car rental business just about disappeared. We weren't traveling, therefore we didn't need to rent cars. Car rental companies had parking lots filled full of cars that they couldn't rent. So a year ago, they decided they would downsize their fleets, and they sold these cars in the used car marketplace. Now we're a year later. Guess what's happening? We're starting to travel again. There's a shortage of rental cars. And because they aren't pumping them into the used car marketplace, there's a shortage of used cars. So temporarily, we're seeing those prices go up. The good news is these disparities are only going to last three or four months, and they'll work their way out. But we're not done. Now, trust me, as we head into the fall, you're going to hear some more of these. Uh, right now, there's a rumor going on in the United States that very basic school supplies, things like paper and pencils and pens and crayons, there could be a rush on them, and there is not as big a supply as people might think. And therefore, you may see prices go up between now and uh, Labor Day. Let's go back to lumber for a second. And certainly, I think everybody listening understands, if they understand nothing else about economics, they understand supply and demand. It's a nice basic concept I think we can all wrap our head around. But So I understand the greater demand that all of a sudden existed and this fact that supply was down because of the expectation nobody would want to do anything. But we live in a country that is completely covered in trees. We've got trillions of trees. Surely the lumber mills and the lumberjacks and the people who sell wood could have said, hey, there's a new demand here. We can create more supply. Why was it so slow to respond to that? Yeah, this, this is just generally the case when you're going to produce anything. We can't produce it on a dime. We can't turn it on a dime. For instance, the cutting down of trees, it's much more difficult to do that in the winter months than, say, it is in the, in the springtime. Transporting them is different. And also, you don't want green lumber. You want uh, lumber that has been aged. In other words, it's been dried out, so it's not going to twist and turn. And it just takes time to do that. It's not an infinite amount of time, but it does take two to three months to make that happen. So when the unexpected demand hit, trust me, the mill said, well, what can we do? But to suddenly activate those crews, get them out there cutting down trees, then get those trees aged, uh, get them dried out so that you can turn it in lumber. You just can't turn it on a dime. This is the same thing, for instance, we're seeing right now in the uh, semiconductor industry. Uh, there was a big rise in the demand for electronic devices so that children and students could connect to classrooms, whether it's tablets or computers, what have you, and they diverted production from the same semiconductor chips that they need in cars. So for a while, the new car industry was hit by this in, in, when, when you have these pandemic things, they can really disturb your ability to predict with certainty what demand is going to be like. One of the areas that I would have expected that the lumber price would have really affected was the building of new homes. Because if you're going to frame most new homes, it's going to be with lumber. And that's a lot of wood that you're using. Do you expect that when the prices are going way down now, because 
I, I guarantee you the builders fix that into the, the increased price into the price of their homes. With the wood prices going down, do you expect builders are going to reduce their prices effect- in, in concert with that? Or do you just think they'll just sort of slide that into the price and pocket the money they're saving now? Well, I, I think it'll be more the second rather than the first. Once you get people used to doing this, uh, uh, recently I was at Park and Fly, and they're still start charging a fuel surcharge that they justified a few years ago when fuel shot up. Once they put it in there, they didn't take it away. But it, it is really hard. So uh, turn this around. At the start of this problem, when lumber prices shot up, you had paid for a house. You had paid whatever price it was, made whatever payments it was, and when the builder came back to you and said, well, you know, Mr. Ryder, I'm sorry, but the price of lumber is shot up. I'd like to increase that. You go, hey, no, 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 I have a contract with you. I want that house delivered at that price. So, okay, they had to eat the difference. Well, of course, they're not made of money. They need to make a profit. And so these houses, where they're able to cash in a bit on lower lumber prices, this makes up for some of the money they lost earlier. Ultimately, in the fullness of time, say over the next nine months to a year, I think if there's to be discounts, there will be. But again, I have to caution, we're not out of COVID yet. And certainly as I look at the United States, my gosh, the United States has now got the biggest numbers in terms of daily COVID cases in the world again. Are we headed towards a fourth lockdown in the States? Is any of that going to spill over into Canada? We just don't know. And that's what makes business so hard to predict. Even if I'm a restaurateur, I'm thrilled that I'm open. I'm thrilled that people can come into my restaurant. But will they still be able to come in in October? Will they still be able to come in in November? Nobody knows for sure until we live with this virus a bit more. So this prediction of of demand from consumers is still all over the map. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The idea that the do-it-yourself boom is over, the do-it-yourself boom has ended. Uh, I'm guessing that it's ended until winter comes and we're back in our home staring at the same things we were staring at before that need fixing and all of a sudden the do-it-yourself boom may pick up again. Yeah, quite possibly. So it's over for now, not necessarily over forever. Uh, You've given a great example. We're back in the homes and we're stuck there. Well, we didn't do the bathroom last year, so we'd better do it this year. But having said that, we do believe that a certain amount of backlog of do-it-yourself work was cleared out of the way thanks to COVID. So I'm not sure that even when the boom do-it-yourself comes in, maybe in January or February of 2022, that it will be as big a boom as you might think because people have put a dent in their do-it-yourself projects. Does this, this has to spill over then because all the, the big warehouses, the Lowe's and the Home Depot's and the Canadian Tires and any, any other place that sells stuff for not just lumber, but sells bathroom fixtures or whatever else, plumbing supplies, they all have to be feeling this too. It's not just the lumber industry. Right. So, so I think for a moment that you're the inventory manager at Lowe's, how how many board feet of lumber do you order? How many toilets do you order? And what's the greater sin? Is it the greater sin to order too much and have all this inventory sitting on the shelf, or is it the greater sin to order a little too little and have back stocks? And the, the issue, answer is that you're better to order a little too little and have back orders than to have too much sitting on the shelves. Because if you have too much sitting on the shelves, that's money that's trapped in the organization. Ultimately, you might have to sell it at a discount and take a loss on it, and that's not going to look good. So all of these people whether they are running direct production of lumber or whether they're running the inventorying of it in stores, 
they're going to err on the side of caution. Unless I'm really, really certain this demand that I'm seeing is permanent, I'm going to order a little less than I think I need just to be on the safe side. The one area, so even if we, if we follow the logic here that, you know, as you're moving in, moving out of the house, we're moving away from home, fix it because you're not there as much. And as we change our habits, things change. The one that I wonder about, what about online shopping? Logically, it should take a hit because we can go back into the stores now and we don't have to order by Amazon or whatever else. But I wonder if we've developed enough of a habit over the last 18 months that it's going to maintain exactly what it's done to this point. Well, you're not the only one who wonders that. Lots of us are wondering whether the shopping habits of the last 16 months are now the new shopping habits, or do people want to go somewhere else? So let me again give you a quick example from this week. You probably saw the story (coughs) that the Disney stores were closing 15 of 18 locations. Disney is the quintessential example of a non-essential retail store. I don't really need anything that Disney sells, maybe at birthdays, maybe at Christmas time. So they've taken a look at it, and they said, you know, this is a chance for us to eliminate all that overhead of those bricks-and-mortar stores. We've got this great online platform called Disney+, Plus, which is all going to sell the material, but we'll do it online completely. I can guarantee you that every other store, whether you're Hudson's Bay or Metro or the Bay or whoever you are, you're going to take a look and say, have I got the right blend between brick and mortar and online? Uh, I can tell you, in the United States, which um, relaxed restrictions faster than Canada, and depending upon where you are in the United States, actually starting in early June, they got back to normal. Funny thing is, retail stores have been seeing gangbuster business. And, And there is something visceral, something you can touch and feel when you go to a store, So to use a grocery example, if I'm ordering a box of cookies, well, it's just a box. Every box is identical. I can get that online. But look, if I'm buying avocados, you know, I want to give it a little squeeze because I need it to be just a certain softness. Or if I'm buying a steak, well, I want it to be marbled just so with the fat. And if I buy it online, somebody else is making that decision. I'm not comfortable with that. So I don't think you're going to see one replace the other, but there will be a new optimal blend between the two of them. And I I know there will be retail stores playing that game. What is the right blend as we go forward? We have just a few minutes left here, but you mentioned something and I want to switch tack just a tiny bit because you mentioned the United States. Um, There's another story, a very interesting business story that is brewing, and that is President Biden introduced his the new version of his or the, the, the implementation of his Buy American program mm-hmm. this week, which is sounds like it's essentially protectionism. Wasn't this the kind of thing that we were told was going to go away when the bad, bad Donald Trump was out of the uh, Oval Office? I thought this was supposed to be resolved for Canada. It was all supposed to be better. Yes. Well, let's say, let's say rather than it was going away that we hoped it would go away, Ah. Now, here's, here's Mr. Biden's problem. He wants to spend some money on infrastructure projects to help stimulate the economy as it comes out of COVID. Makes perfect sense to me. The Canadian government's going, trying to do the exact same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, I could argue our LRT project is a great example of trying to stimulate with an infrastructure project. His concern, though, is if we're using American taxpayer dollars, we don't want the benefit of those dollars flowing to other nations around the world. I don't want that money going to China. I don't want that money going to Russia. 
And so they have put certain restrictions on those projects. And if you read them the way they are written, it really is United States first and everybody else second, including our good friends north of the border, Canada. Now, Mr. Biden was vice president to a president named Obama. He had a round of those projects. Trump has had a round of those projects. And in all cases, what we have done with our trade representatives uh, in Washington is we've said, you know, we have this little thing called NAFTA that we signed. In there, there is guaranteed that Canadian companies would get access to these federal government infrastructure projects. So what I think you're seeing at the moment is what I'll call the opening salvo from the Biden administration, which talks really tough. It's America first and everybody else second. But ultimately, we've seen it crack before with Obama. We saw it crack with Trump, and we'll see it crack with Biden because these uh, multinational uh, trade agreements, if they're going to work, have to work under all circumstances. You can't just sign it and then ignore the provisions. But (coughs) if I'm a Canadian company, I am rightly worried Will I be able to sell into that market? And should they be worried? Or, I mean, you're, you're saying that it probably won't hold, but if I am a company here, uh, especially one who exports stuff, uh, it, it sounds as though, I mean, unless you're right. really an optimist or you've got your hands on a bunch of pixie dust that you're confident, you should probably be a little worried. You should be worried. No, no, I'm not saying you shouldn't be worried. I don't want to sugarcoat it. It is going to require some trade negotiation and some you know, get into the corners and and do a little arm wrestling there as you go. But in the past, we have been able to to exert some rights under this and get Canadian companies so they can participate. And frankly, the Biden administration, I think, would tell you their fear is not that American tax dollars would somehow help a Canadian business. Their fear is that American dollars would somehow help a Chinese business or a Russian business or an Indian business. That's an absolute no-no. So chances are, for it to be extended to Canada, we're going to have to give certain guarantees that we're not just a flow-through point for Chinese goods or Russian goods or Indian goods, and then those people will be allowed to participate. But that is going to take several months of hard-hitting negotiation to make it happen. But just based on past experience, we normally get around it. Uh, but from a political standpoint, he has come out of the gates talking tough. And, and again, frankly, uh, he saw what people thought about Trump. They liked his tough talk on trade. He's trying to imitate some of that as well. Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business, powering through that summertime cold. We really appreciate your, uh, your efforts to do that and always appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Glad to be with you, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.